Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the VentureFizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. This is episode 290, and today's guest is Frank Rowe, CEO of SmartBear. The career path to a CEO position at a tech company is not linear. If you look at the background of CEOs, there are many different roads. It could be operations, product management, marketing, or other functional areas. In Frank's case, he ran several different teams, including sales and professional services. So some might believe that the CEO's role is to be the chief decision-making officer. But as Frank shares in our discussion, it couldn't be further from the truth, at least in the way that he leads. For Frank, he believes the best CEOs are influencers, where they're able to gain consensus from the team versus convincing people of your own opinion. It's more about understanding everyone's perspective and creating that level of collaboration amongst the team. In addition to this key point, you'll hear Frank share lots of other core elements that he believes go into the role of a successful CEO in a software company. SmartBear delivers the complete visibility developers need to make each release better than the last. The company's award-winning and industry-favorite tools are trusted by over 16 million developers, testers, and software engineers at over 32,000 organizations, including companies like Adobe, JetBlue, FedEx, and Microsoft. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like Frank's career path from consulting to executive leadership roles in the software industry, the differences of working in a VC-backed company versus a private equity-owned company, all the details on SmartBear in terms of the company, scale, and its suite of products, a discussion on how SmartBear has always leveraged a product-led growth strategy long before the term PLG was coined, the company's secret to making successful acquisitions, the culture at SmartBear, and why he considers the word curious as the most important company value, and so much more. Okay, quick side note. On April 20th, TechCrunch is hosting their early stage event in Boston. It's their annual founder summit with lots of great workshops, and I'll actually be leading two roundtable discussions focused on how to recruit for your startup. It's a must-attend event for all startup founders, and I have some amazing news to share. TechCrunch has granted me 20 free passes to share with founders from the VentureFizz podcast audience. So go register at techcrunch.com slash early stage, that's all one word, with the promo code VentureFizz at checkout, and you'll get free access, which is a discount of $449. So I hope to see you there. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Frank. Frank, thanks so much for joining us. Keith, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you because I've been, uh, you know, we were, we were talking before we started recording. Uh, you know, SmartBear has been a long time uh, customer of VentureFizz and, uh, you know, very grateful for their continued support through the years. And it's been one of these great companies in the Boston tech ecosystem that's just continued to grow and expand. And we're going to talk about that growth and future direction. Uh, excited to talk to you because you've had this uh, career progression that I'm sure lots of people that listen to this podcast have aspirations to accomplish, and that's to become a CEO of a tech company. Um, so what advice would you have for people that are trying to make that transition, whether if you're a chief marketing officer, a chief operating officer, a CFO, you know, there's the whole C-suite that's probably trying to take that next level. Yep. yep. Well, I mean, I think uh, there's a couple of thoughts that come to my mind. You know, um, one of them is actually a a woodblock sign that I had created, which is hard work puts you where good luck can find you. Um, ah, I, like I obviously like it so much that uh, that I guess I'm opening it here with you. Uh, but but like I said, it's it's uh, 
it's a block that sits on my desk, uh, outwardly facing, right, for for folks to be able to see. You know, mm-hmm. I would say it's uh, it, it it has been a journey, as, as you might imagine. Um, you know, I think there's a couple of uh, uh, you know points of advice that I, that I you know happy to share you know with with you and the audience. And you know, I think one of those is that um, you know early days, somebody had said, "Oh, I, I want to be a CEO," and and you know, I kind of inquired with why, and it was like, well because I can make all the decisions um, and, <laughs> right. And uh, kind of farthest from the truth to, to be quite honest. Um, I think the biggest thing, and it, and it does prepare you, you know um, at least it did for me in, in, in my journey. And that's to be an influencer. I, I really think Keith that, you know, some of the best CEOs are influencers. Um, yes. You're the ultimate responsibility for, for the good, the bad, the hard, the challenges. Right. But mm-hmm. Um, really what I've seen is to do this job and to do it effectively, you know, you're an influencer, you're, you're balancing, you know, everybody always says, listen, right. But you're balancing listening with gaining consensus, right. Influencing, um, you know, I might know what I think is the answer going into a meeting. Um, but instead of trying to convince everybody of that, it's really go around the table and understand everyone's perspective, um, perhaps guide influence, you know, a little bit here or there um, and look to collaborate. And uh, there are times where, uh, you know, we're not reaching a consensus or decision. And then, yes, you do, you do make that ultimate decision. But I believe my goal in all of this is to have a really strong executive leadership team um, and help guide them and this company towards my vision and, and, and really uh, their vision. Um, so I, I'd say that that's, that's a big one for sure. Yeah. Be the influencer versus the, I am in charge person. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. It, it's, it's, um, I could see where, where this individual thought like, Hey, you get to make all the decisions and, and, uh, you know, you quickly learn that if you, if that's your approach, uh, well, you're not going to have a lot of people left, um, you know, around that proverbial table. Um, so I do think it's that. I would say another one, you know, maybe a second one is uh, visibility. Um, and by visibility, I mean seeking visibility, like across and inside each team. What motivates, you know, uh, that particular person? Uh, you know, everybody's always got something going on, uh, whether it's, you know, here at work or, or you know, uh, in the personal life. And so trying to gain and seek out that visibility, um, but also make sure you're very visible, uh, you know, very early days. Here at Smart Bear, um, I made a very conscious decision to sit right in the middle. Um, and uh, and so you might say, well, wh- you know, what do you mean by that? Well, we we don't have any offices, um, and and we never have had any offices here in Somerville. And uh, and so I I really had a seat um, before I became CEO that was uh, in between sales and marketing. I thought that that was a good spot to be to to show uh, that there needs to be a strong unified you know, team uh, across the go-to-market and uh, decided to leave it there. Uh, and I thought it was for good reason, uh, mainly because uh, uh, to go almost anywhere, you've got to walk by my desk. And uh, and some might be freaked out by that, right? But uh, but not only do you get used to it, you actually uh, look forward to it. Um, so that was a big one. And then I would say, for me, uh, I, I learned this, I heard this and then learned it. And I think I've taken it on you know, over the last 25 years, when you first become a manager of any size, 
uh, hire smarter than you are. That's kind of my phrase, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what do I mean by that? Well, you know, understand where you know, where your strengths are, and then hire those that have strengths where you're not as strong, right? So that together you can bring a lot. Um, I would, I probably would add something to that, and that is um, not only hire smarter than you are, but uh, bring in uh, leaders that have a diverse perspective. Um, I think that that's been, you know, um, really uh, something that's helped me along and and I think helped the organization, which is do that. And I also think, you know, if you, it's one thing to say higher, smarter than you are, do you actually believe it? Um, and if you do, I think it actually says a lot about, about who you are as a person, you know, your confidence level. Uh, that you you're going to bring somebody on that knows a lot more about you do in that particular area. Great. You know, embrace that. Uh, there's a whole lot to it too. You know um, we've, we've had a lot going on over the last uh, few years uh, to, to say the least. Uh, but uh, I would say those are kind of the key points that, that I would, and advice that I'd give anybody that's saying, you know, Hey, I, I, I want to be CEO. Uh, I want to be a CXO. I want to lead uh, a, you know, a team. Uh, those are definitely some of the it, advice points that I would give. Well, let's rewind the clock and talk about your background. So where did you grow up and what were you like as a child? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm glad you're asking me and not not uh, not my sisters. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, moved around a lot as as a kid. Uh, it was was you know all the way back born in Chicago, moved to Arizona back to Chicago, landed in Massachusetts, um, and really have, have been here ever since. Um, I was uh, the second oldest of, of uh, four, um, and so a bit of a middle child, I, I guess. Um, but I always felt like um, I had to take ownership of things that were that needed to get done. Um, so I guess kind of driven. You know, um, some of that was uh, given to me, you know, as I like to say, I was volunteered to do a lot of things. Um, but I also took on a lot, uh, as a kid with the one caveat, and I actually see it in my kids today. Um, I, I take the, the, the position of, you know, driving something when I'm interested in it. Um, and I think that there's the key, right. Uh, be interested in, in what you're looking to do. And, and, and I can see it in, in both of my kids that are, you know, I can't believe that they're, you know, 18 and 20. Um, but I see it every day in, in, in how they go about things. And, uh, and I hope a little bit of that came from me. Uh, I know a lot of it came from my wife, um, uh, as well, but yeah, that's, that's a little bit about, uh, me and, and, uh, and me growing up. So you studied business at UMass Amherst. So what, how did, how did you get your career started? Yeah. Um, well, uh, I, I would love to tell you that I, uh, sought out, um, Anderson Consulting, and back in 1992, I knew exactly what my career path was. Going to be. <laughs> we all do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, like a lot, I had no idea. Back in 1992, there weren't a lot of people getting jobs out of out of school. Um, and uh, you know, I'm about to date myself, but Anderson Consulting, for the first time, went to UMass Amherst campus. They had always gone to. Uh, you know, the great thing about Boston is there's a lot of great schools, right? And so they had always gone to hire, uh, to look to hire at a school out of you know, Harvard and Boston College and, and BU. And there was a partner, uh, Walt LaLibertary, who uh, graduated from UMass Amherst, um, you know, 20, 30 years ago from then. 
and said, hey, it's time we hire somebody uh, out, of, out of UMass. Amherst, and, and specifically back then, it was uh, the School of Management. And uh, I was lucky enough to uh, to get that uh, job right out. Um, and uh, like I said, I had no idea what I was getting into, none whatsoever. Um, in fact, you know, they 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 uh, they ship everybody off uh, to a two week boot camp uh, out in Charleston, Illinois. Yeah, uh, yep. I know they still do it uh, today. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and that was definitely a wake up call of uh, of whoa, okay, I'm starting to get a glimpse. Um, I will say for me, it's been the foundation of my career. Uh, you know, working at Anderson, now called Accenture, uh, going from there and working at Deloitte. That really kind of consultative approach. I didn't know it at the time, of course, uh, right? But it's it's something that I've brought to every every role that I've taken on in, in every position. And you were doing like was it PeopleSoft implementations? Yeah, yeah. So, yep, yeah. We were um, we would do a lot back then, right? So it would be everything from the strategy work to um, to then you know that inevitably led to ERP you know implementations and. Again, I, I, I appreciate you uh, uh, allowing me to date myself here to the, the audience, <laughs> but, uh, but it, um, you know, back then there weren't, there, there really wasn't a lot of software and, and, and there wasn't a lot of ERP software. And in fact, CRM software didn't even exist at the time. And so, yeah, we, we, it would lead, that strategy work would lead to uh, a, uh, a roadmap of deploying software. Inevitably it started with ERP and, and back then it was, Back, it was between PeopleSoft and Oracle, and really, uh, that that's ultimately what piqued my interest into software. Both the awareness of of software, but maybe even most importantly, uh, you know, the 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 team at PeopleSoft in particular. I mean, they were just they brought it. They had the energy. Uh, they had fun. They were scaling out. You know, and 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 I I really did like uh, consulting. But it was very much a one-to-one relationship, right? Um, you, you know, you and, and your client, your customer, where I saw software all of a sudden was like, well, if you build a piece of software and it goes out, it could go out to hundreds, thousands, you know, tens of thousands of, of people and kind of change their their approach to things. And um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of the leap that I took from from consulting into uh, into the crazy world of software. Yeah. So then you ended up working kind of on in a software company that I do remember back in the day, because I started recruiting in the tech industry in Boston in 98. So I remember incentive, um, you know, yeah. kind of a, you know, first of its kind type of software that was growing very aggressively. So what role did you play within that organization? Yeah. So um, yeah. And, and, and back then, you know, again, there weren't that many software companies. We were the one that had the great carrot in the, in the, the carrot. The, yes. Uh, I remember the logo. logo. Yes. And I've got, you know, I've, I've got uh, plenty of pens and, and those type of things. You know, I think um, so there was a, there was a logical move for me to go into the uh, services and, and, uh, and ultimately running the the services arm of the software because I'd been in the consulting um, and, uh, and, and a mentor of mine, um, uh, was, was working there as running, um, services. Uh, her name is Trish Gilligan and, and, uh, and, you know, she, she gave me that opportunity to join. It was definitely something that I wanted to do. I could, I saw, like I said, I saw what the explosive growth PeopleSoft was going through and the changes that they were making. And, um, and so that's how I got it into incentive systems. And it was, it was, uh, 
kind of similar to to you know the last few years here we had a lot of ups and downs and you know uh you're talking 98 99 2000 then the bubble of 2001 uh but amazing time back then for sure uh learned a lot and I was actually fortunate to to move from uh services into sales uh the last couple of years at incentive uh that's really what uh, allowed me to kind of cross that uh that chasm and I would say right around that time was where I started realizing if I want to be a CEO, I need to be able to, I need to have said, I need to have had the experiences to run more than one department. And so I'd run services, I'd run consulting. Um, and to me, sales felt like a very natural um, and, and something that I wanted to do, um, you know, back to that being very, very driven. And so, you know, I, essentially left a vice president role of services to become, you know, uh, ultimately a sales rep, you know, carrying quota. And, and uh, I can tell you that that was, uh, that was a jump. Uh, that was definitely a leap. Uh, but I always had the goal in mind. And the goal was to, you know, to run a sales organization. Um, because I thought, you know, hey, if I have services, consulting and sales, uh, I'll, I'll have a lot of what it's going to take to be a CEO. Like that's great advice. You were methodical, yet you realized, hey, if I want to lead this organization, I need to be doing this job. I can't just go and lead salespeople without having like, you know, as a senior manager, you're doing relationship sales at Deloitte Consulting, but you know, this is selling software and quotas. That's different. Yeah, that's right. That's right. However much I did pitch exactly to to them, hey, I've, you know, uh, you know, I'm I've closed many big deals before. Um, but you know, being a sales rep, it's, uh, um, I'm glad I did it. You know, it, it, it was phenomenal experience. And, uh, and, and I think the combination of that and that consulting background is, is really kind of built up, uh, who I am today. And, uh, and it's, it's been a blast. All right. So from there you held different leadership roles. So, uh, progress is your next stop. So that yep. was for yeah. a good six yeah. years. So, I think. Yep. Yep. For sure. And, and, um, you know, one of the, big things that I learned from uh, incentive systems and being in sales is um, it's important to be part of a good team. Uh, and you also want to make sure that the products are very, very stable. Uh, they can scale, they can grow um, an incentive. We had that, but we were a brand new company, right? And we were actually closing really, really big deals and, you know, going through some of the, you know, trials and tribulations of a, of a smaller company. And so I had that, that checklist, I knew, okay, I, I need, I want to continue to go grow and scale. I want to go to a company um, that's local, uh, that's a software company that will give me the opportunity to to rise up and through management. And, and I found that a progress. Um, and, uh, you know, I said kind of progress is like the largest software company that no one knows outside of, uh, outside of 128 here. It's so true. Um, so true. Yeah. yeah. But uh, they were but doing cool for- stuff before making software for developers to use was cool. You know what I mean? Like they were like like doing what these companies have been doing for the past couple of years, like dev tools and DevOps. Like (laughs) they've been doing that for a gazillion years. Right. Right. Yeah. No question. I mean, we, we had kind of a running joke of, uh, you know, that their software was called 4GL. If, if, you know, we go, go in the time machine. Right. And you're absolutely right. It, we were selling to startup software companies, you know, to use our technology to build theirs. 
Um, you know, we had the joke of, hey, when's the when's 5GL coming out? Um, you know, it's just a bit of a you know reminder of kind of who we were. Uh, but you're right. It was a it was a great experience. I, I would say out of all of it, uh, not only did I make some lifetime, you know, some colleagues that turned into lifetime friends, I also learned the power then of strong leadership. Um, I you know, really did. We had a really core strong leadership group, and and uh, like like any company, especially software companies, you know, it has really you know uh, has some really good highs and and has some turbulent times too. And uh, you know, I, I think I became part of that, but saw early days. The strength of leadership is is really an important uh, attribute. It's not just about having solid technology that works and and you know uh, and all that comes with that. It's you also need to have a really strong leadership team. All right. So the next company, RSD. So it seems like here is when you made that real leap into an executive yeah. leadership role, president of North America, yeah. senior VP of worldwide sales. So at this stage in your career, how did you feel as far as okay, uh, I've kind of, you know, par- carved out this roadmap for my career. Okay. Now I'm ready to take that next level. And and how did you ultimately, you know, fulfill that? Yeah. Yeah. Great, great, great point. It definitely brings me back. Um, you know, one of the things that I was, I was running into was um, I'd been, like I said, years before I'd been, you know, vice president running a services consulting team. Um, and, uh, you know, I wanted to have that same role at, at you know at a software company uh in sales running a running a you know the sales team and, and having you know having that leadership team you know that that even back then it wasn't really called cro it was really you know head of sales you know vps svp of sales um and i realized that i was going to have to in order to do that right the question that i always got was like oh well uh, let me know where you were head of sales before right and i was like well I haven't been, but if everybody thinks that way, well, how am I ever going to crack into this? And and that's where I found RSD. Uh, it was a company that was based in uh, Geneva, Switzerland, um, a, a much smaller. So I was I was running a fairly large team, both in uh, you know uh, revenue as well as in uh, sales reps and managers. Um, but knew in order to get that role that I wanted, that VP title, I was going to have to. Uh, find something new and, and find something smaller. Um, and that's where RSD came into play. And, and uh, again, very similar was, was a great technology um, that was uh, a step or two away from what progress had done. Um, I really learned there too, uh, not just about strong leadership team, which we had in strong peers, but hiring, right? And, and I think that's where I really started applying that higher executives and leaders that are smarter than you are. And, uh, and yeah, it was great. It was, uh, it, uh, it was a perfect time. Uh, we were just starting to have kids. I could travel to Geneva once a quarter. Um, I might miss them a little bit. They, they didn't know any better. And so they wouldn't miss me. But after four years, I said, okay, I, I can't keep doing this. Um, and, uh, and I wanted to, to scale, um, and we and it was part of the first exit, so we uh, we we were really getting ready for for it to be an exit. Um, smaller because we were in Europe, and it was going to be you know, we were owned by a European firm. Um, it was also my first entree into you know what are the real big differences between venture capital, public companies, and private equity. Mm-hmm. Um, Incentive Systems was a VC, Polaris backed. Progress was obviously public, and RSD was a a, a PE 
owned company. And so I really got to be able to see the differences. And, and that was um, something I didn't necessarily seek out, but, uh, but boy, some great experiences to, to really know because uh, all three of them are very, very different. And, uh, and you have to manage them differently um, in, in, in that environment. Um, so yeah, RSD provided a lot uh, for me and, um, and gave me that, that title and, and, uh, and I think gave me the experience to run, you know, a large organization and, and scale it. Yeah. We almost doubled it in size, uh, you know, before the ultimate exit. So great, great experience. Um, it was great to be in Geneva, uh, quite a bit as well. Um, but realized, okay, I need to find, uh, my next one needs to be a company that's, uh, based you know, here in, here in the US. So that was Rogue Wave. What, what was the stage of that company when you joined? Yeah, that um, I would say that, uh, so again, PE owned. Um, okay. And so it was, it, was a, it was a really, I'd say it was a EBITDA driven company that had growth. Um, mm-hmm. I, my prior companies had been you know, either very, very high growth um, or, or a combination of, and, uh, and so it was great experience to understand um, how you manage, how you lead at a company that um, you know believes in and uh, and and you know needs to deliver not only top line growth but EBITDA earnings. Um, they were they also were a private equity backed uh, company, and and so um, that was you know phenomenal experience. Um, Again, wanted to get a, a company that was based in the U.S. Um, Denver, Boulder wasn't exactly Boston, um, but uh, but it was definitely closer than than Geneva, and it got me a lot of really good experience. Uh, you know, with uh, with a with a really strong uh, peer group uh, at Rogue Wave, and uh, and really working in um, you know the model of you know. 25, 30% uh, EBITDA and, and how you can do that and still grow, you know, your, your, your top line. All right. So how'd you end up at Smart Bear? Yeah. Great question. So I ended up at Smart Bear because uh, I had over the years and, and here's maybe another uh, bit of advice and I won't name any of the companies, but um, uh, build your network, build your, and build a network uh, of, a, of a whole bunch of folks you know, the people that you work with, you know, keep in touch with those the companies that, you know, they leave or you leave, but also build a network of, uh, you know, uh, retained search executives. And I had done just that. Um, and uh, what I'd said to a couple of them, uh, one in particular was, hey, this is ultimately what I'm looking for. I'm looking for um, a Boston-based software company, um, a tier one private equity um, and a strong, uh, you know, a strong CEO and a strong executive team. I know it might take a year, two, three years. I'm okay with that because that's ultimately what, I, what I'm looking to do. Um, kind of put it all together, right? So put all the experiences that I had together, but have it, you know, local here in Boston. And uh, I would say about two years in or so um, was uh, was given a, a great opportunity to to join Smart Bear and uh, and become uh, our chief revenue officer, uh, and this is uh, August of 2018. So you said you know one of your criteria was private equity. So you prefer that stage of a company versus venture? 
I do. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, you know, and, and even over public companies. Um, I really, uh, for what I know the reasons, but they clicked, you know, what, what private equities are looking to do, which is to create value, right? Company value um, and do it in a balanced manner, right? I always found that VCs, you know, if they're going to invest in 10 companies, they only needed two or three to, to be a home run. And the others, well, you know, the others might just be left aside, right? Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, we're seeing that right now, right? Because valuations were just going through the roof. Venture capital companies, again, you know, in order to get their returns, they their model is have two or three home runs. And unfortunately, I mean, six or seven are, you know, kind of left to, left to the side. Private equity is very different. Uh, they expect uh, all 10 in this scenario to have a return. And uh, and they put that effort and that energy into all ten. Um, it was important for me to be at a private equity firm that specialized in software as well. I've been with private equity firms that, yes, they obviously done an investment in software, but it, nece it wasn't necessarily their you know their route to market. You know, they they were. Uh, I spent as much time educating them sometimes on software and, and the nuances of, you know, retention rates and renewals and multi-years and all of those type of things. And, uh, and was very fortunate to work with Francisco partners and, uh, you know, they, they know their stuff. I mean, they are, uh, consummate professionals. Um, they understand the model. They also understand that they're not operators. Um, they're sure. Yes. They're owners, they're investors. Uh, but they, they also understand that, Hey, you've, you've got to, you, you got to help where needed, um, and uh, and and sometimes get out of the way. And uh, and so yes, uh, I it was very fortunate uh, back then and still today to have uh, tier one uh, private equity owners uh, of the company that give advice um, and uh, you know uh, really just provide a pathway for for us to uh, bring a vision forward and then uh, deliver on that vision. Well, let's bring our audience up to speed on SmartBear as a company, because you guys do a lot. There's a lot of products under the umbrella. There's a whole portfolio. So I don't know if we need to break them all down because yeah. that would take a long time, but <laughs> let's just kind of give an overview of the different product offerings. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I think at, at the most macro level, right, our our vision is to provide you know the solutions, the tools that give development teams the visibility across the entire SDLC, the entire software development lifecycle. So what does that mean, right? Well, in today's world, and 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 this continues to accelerate. But uh, you know, you, not only are you expected as a developer or a team of developers to to deliver software, uh, you know, in in an extremely time sensitive manner, right? It it can't be measured in quarters or years. It's got to be measured in weeks and months. It also has to work, right? Uh, we all know what happens. Um, I, I do it myself. If you pull up your iPhone or your, you know, your your laptop and you log in and it's not working, whatever that might be, it's not performant, it crashes. What are you going to do, right? Well, 15, 20 years ago, you would wait or you'd you know have the patience to because uh, you really didn't have a choice. You know that patience level of the of the customer is is uh, rightfully so shrunk quite a bit. And so it needs to work, I guess is my point. So our vision has been, we have these tools, um, they they all do one thing in common, right? They all help the developer 
release, you know, the, uh, we have a tagline, right? Uh, which is, uh, you know, always be thinking about and deliver the, the next, you know, your next release is your best release. And so what we've been doing behind the scenes a little bit, I think, you know, is, uh, uh, is really painting that vision. Uh, where's the developer going? And let's make sure that we're providing all the tools that they need. And so whether that's, you know, functional test, which we provide, meaning, you know, are, are all the screen layouts of your app or your website working correctly, whether it's low testing, you know, there's big volumes, you know, imagine if uh, Walmart or Home Depot or, you know, any company during their busy season, the, the website crashed. We provide all that to the hands of the developer and and the really the the testing teams, right? Because they ultimately are responsible for quality, um, you know. And uh, you know, we we often say, you know, quality isn't the goal; it's the point, right? And uh, and I think that that resonates with with a lot of our customers. We were talking about progress and kind of building developer tools before that was like cool and and hip, which yeah. you know, became that a few years ago. The other thing when I think about SmartBear is. I think you guys were like early champions of product-led growth, right? Yeah. Like PLG, yeah. like you guys almost invented that. Yeah, yeah, for sure we did. Um, you know, we are fortunate to have, um, you know, millions and millions of uh, customers and and users, right? And um, and so, you know, they come uh, to SmartBear because, you know, we, we believe that we have easy to find, easy to buy, and easy to deploy software. And I think if you take that approach always, you're absolutely right. It's the it's the early days of product-led growth, which is, you know, and, and our model is it to just sell to the entire company, not not at least initially, right? Our model is uh again that easy to find and easy to use software. So start with a developer, start with an individual or a team of. And if your software works and it's easy to use all of a sudden that spreads throughout that company. And all of a sudden we go from one teams to three teams to five software development teams. Now all of a sudden we're, we're talking to the company about a divisional wide license. Um, all of a sudden now we're talking about a company wide license. And so we've also benefited because a lot of our customers um, have grown quite dramatically. Um, and unfortunately the, the world uh, is is has a developer shortage, right? And so there's been plenty of predictions by 2025, the the you know that we're going to be short four million developers. Wow! Well, our software, yeah, yeah, it's amazing. And and if you if you just kind of step back and think about it, um, imagine the path that we were on before COVID, right? Where you know it was more and more you were buying on your phone, you were buying on your laptop, you weren't really dialing up anybody. Um, COVID accelerated that. I mean, there, there's no question that the digital transformation um, added necessity for a lot of companies, you know, right? Because all of a sudden, overnight, their retail, their front door was closed. And so they had to scramble quickly to build software so that it could be not just, not just acquired, uh, you know, online, but used online. And, uh, and that explosion... Uh, has been phenomenal. It's given us choices. Uh, it's forced to make sure that that software works. But what it's also done is just put a huge, huge burden on the role of the developer and 
it's it's created just a, a huge vacuum of a need for more and more developers. So yeah, we're what we see is you know, um, uh, and and uh, I know analysts, plenty of them have, have said, hey, there's a three million, a four million, a five million shortage of developers, um, and we couldn't agree more. And uh, and so that's definitely a huge fuel for this market and for us uh, again because our tools put in the hands of the developers they're able to you know have their next release be the best release and have it be on time with high quality and uh, and so whether that's uh uh you know within APIs you know we're an API first company and so clearly there's been an explosion of APIs you know the, the old adage of software's eating the world um, I, I guess if you if if you have that, and here comes a really old reference of Pac-Man, right? Um, there's probably a label of API across that Pac-Man because APIs have just you know exponential growth, and so we provide those tools. Um, and and you're absolutely right; it's that product-led growth. And our vision, right, is uh, is well, we have three platforms: we have API first, we have the deploying. Think of it as pre-production. Right, the the functional test, the test management, and then we have uh, think of it as post production observability, and all, when all three work together, it provides that visibility, and that's what we've been doing behind the scenes. We've been acquiring companies that fit within those three. We've been building company, uh, building products, I should say, um, that fit inside of those three, so that there is not only integration within each of those platforms but that there's integration data being passed across those platforms so that a company can use smart bear and really uh, feel confident that they can deliver across the SDLC. So whether that's the design of APIs or the performance testing of their website, um, whatever it might be, uh, we're, we're right front and center. And I, I don't know, like these numbers are probably always changing, but, I think these were the latest that I found. I think it's important right. for people to understand the scale of, of SmartBear. So um, 16 million developers, testers, and software engineers using products from SmartBear and you know, somewhere over 32,000 organizations. So it's the, you know, right. SmartBear is, is, is a big player. Yeah, no question. We're, we're really fortunate in, in that fact. Right. But, uh, but you're absolutely right. Th those are the numbers, I guess I would say, and growing to, to each of those, right? Uh, but yes, we have over 30, you know, now over 32,000 customers. Um, and the great thing about having that, you know, besides the fact that you know what you're building and delivering to the customers is clearly adding value, right? Um, what, what we also get is the ability to see out in front what their challenges are, right? And, and so we saw early days, three, four years ago, even before COVID, their challenge was the need to really deliver high quality software products in a timely manner. And the more integrated, the better. And yet back then there were all these pop-up, all these startups were, were coming to play. Hey, I, I have this point solution here. And all of a sudden these customers, our customers realizing, hey, not only, you know, I have, you know, eight different vendors that are that are across my SDLC. Is there one that's out there that can help me with this? And, and so, yes, we've been very fortunate with that. Um, I'd also say with having that, um, not only can not only can we scan you know them and and talk to our customers, 
we love to see that there's some phenomenal outcomes, you know, with our tools, right? Their time to resolution is dropping by 30, 40%. You know, um, uh, the old days of regression testing being measured in days is is barely been measured in a, in an hour now, right? What what used to take 75 hours to get something through, you know, is now being measured in five hours. And and uh, and we've got some of the best customers that are out there. Where when you have 32,000 customers, you're you're by definition a horizontal play, and uh, and that's been great for us. Um, and and it's something that we pride ourselves on, but it's also something that we look at and say, everything that we do should be should be able to help any company, you know, along their journey of that digital transformation and and trying to uh, get out their solutions and their products to their own customers. And uh, and it you know th- go way back when I first saw PeopleSoft exploding, right? That's what we're doing now. Uh, slightly different universe it's not erp but uh but it's just as exciting and and yeah we're we're having a we're having a great time in driving our own growth but seeing our customers you know use um our products and you know happy to to say that one of the big things that we've done is we have uh, made a very conscious decision a couple of years ago to build our own products we had always acquired products and then spent time integrating them. That's really how we were an innovator. Well, we've made a conscious decision. It was actually one of the things that that I had done uh, becoming CEO was we need to also build our own products and we need to be the that innovator and, and bring that. Proud to say that uh, this year to date, right? So it's March 22nd. Uh, so we're just getting in. We've actually delivered to the market two new products. And, uh, and, and I can tell you through the beta phase to now those 30,000 customers downloading those products, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's been, it's been great. It's been great to see, um, new customers, uh, know who SmartBear is and a lot of those 32,000 customers starting to use our, our homegrown built products that are built with all the integrations day one. Like, well, it seems like you're doing things where you're leveraging all options, meaning we're going to have a history of products that we've acquired. We're building our own organic products, but still, you know, looking towards acquisitions too, because yesterday you announced a a new acquisition. So talk about that announcement. Yeah, Yeah, we did. We're really proud of that. Um, uh, You know, Aspecto is, it was, is the company and, you know, global, a global player. Um, You know, I had mentioned we have our three platforms now, well, we're really concentrating on our efforts on all three of those. And this is where Aspecto brings really catapults us in the world of observability, you know, um, in, in dynamic tracing, error monitoring, all the things that those 32,000 customers have told us. If you can also bring that to, you know, to us as a solution, we will, we will take that on and take it on immediately. And so we are very, very fortunate to, uh, to, early days uh talk with the aspecto team and i would say that that's kind of our bit of our secret sauce in terms of acquisitions which is often um we have been working with that company for you know 6 months 12 months 2 years in time and uh and and it's a good way to get to know each other um this one was a little bit accelerated uh from that but we we knew who aspecto was they really, we spent the time making sure that they knew who we were, 
right? Um, I, I've been at a company where you've been acquired and, and the last thing you, you know, you're thinking is, is well, this is going to be phenomenal for me and, and I can see the path, right? It's usually I'm concerned. I don't know what this is going to mean for me. And, and so we actually spend a lot of that time before anything gets signed and closed to make sure that that company knows exactly who we are, exactly, you know, as people, right? Um, and, you know, the, the people that they might be working for, definitely who they're working with. Um, of course, we want to make sure that the technology is is world-class and then it fits right into our vision. You know, it's it's it, we, we think of it as we have this vision, we're plugging in these puzzle pieces. And, and like you said, we'll do continue to do it through acquisitions. Um, we'll also do it through organic delivery and, and a specto fit perfectly for us uh, in observability combined with our bug snack solution. Um, we, we, we're going to hit the ground running with this. And, and uh, this is one of those where um, we, uh, we, we just couldn't wait to, to let the market know. Um, and in fact, we, we, uh, we, we spent a lot of time talking about, okay, w- when do we let, everybody know about this and, and the, just the eagerness to say, Hey, let's get this out there sooner, uh, the better. Um, but yeah, we're, we're really excited. Um, you know, big shout out to that, that team. And, uh, I think we're going to do some amazing things. It's all based on what we heard from our customers, right? We're constantly talking with our customers. I speak with them on a daily basis. We do all kinds of surveying and, that that's ultimately going to lead what who we're going to acquire next or what we're going to build next. It's what our customers are asking for, and I think that that's been the key all along. Right? You mentioned product led growth, but it's been product led growth driven by our customers. You know, why 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 outthink your customer? You have them; they're right there. Whether you have you know you're a startup and you have thirty customers, or you're like us and you have you know thirty thousand customers. Why try and outsmart them? Um, ask them. They often are the ones that are going to give you those great ideas. And uh, and and it's been you know uh, it's been a great great journey for us. And we're just beginning. We're we're I think we're really starting to. I think people are starting to know who we are more uh, because they see us more. Um, we spent a lot of time and in investments on brand and making sure that uh, everybody knew. You know we had. Three, four years ago, we had really loyal and still do really loyal product uh, customers, but they didn't necessarily know that they were part of SmartBear. And, and we spent a lot of time. We brought on some really key leadership uh, to help us with brand and and uh, everything from uh, company brand to employee brand and, and even customer brand, really kind of understanding our customers, unlike we've ever done before. And yeah, you'll... you'll uh, you know, we, we keep in touch and, and you'll hear more and more about more acquisitions that we're doing and uh, and more organic products that we're delivering to market. You talked about your leadership style earlier, but uh, like what's what's the culture like at Smart Bear? Like you recently updated your headquarters in Somerville. Um, so so what's it like working at the company? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think, you know, it's it's um, a lot of people always talk about culture. Right. And uh, and, um, you know, I think. A lot of companies, unfortunately, for a lot of varied reasons, look at it as like a checkbox. Well, well, we checked off culture. Um, you know, for us, we, uh, you know, four or five years ago, uh, surveyed our employees, uh, came up with our our company values, right? And uh, and so we drive towards those company values and everything that we do. And 
we have an acronym. It's called Soda C, right? So smart, open, driven, accountable. And here comes my favorite, curious. And I would say that if there's one word that would uh, describe, you know, if you're, you're coming into Smart Bear as an employee for the first time, or if you've been here for seven or eight years, it's having that fire of curiosity. Um, why are we doing it this way? I wonder what our customers would say. Um, what does the market look like in two years, three years? Um, so, of course, it's important to have a culture of, you know, being driven and, and open. Um, I think what ties it all together is that curiosity. It's um, it, and having that ability to be curious, because being curious means you're going to try some new things, and they might not work. Um, and so there's also, I think, a, a good culture here at Smart Bear. You can try new things, uh, and they might not work. They, you know, they might fail. They might fail miserably. Um, but in my mind, they don't. They wouldn't. They only would fail miserably is if we did it. It didn't work as we expected, and we just ignored it. But if we learn from that, we take that. And, and I've got, you know, we've got dozens of examples where something didn't work exactly or as planned. But let's learn from it. Let's be curious about what those results are. You know what worked, what didn't, and then apply that going forward. And so I think it's the I think for me it's always hard to explain in in a concise sentence or two uh, what our culture is. But I really do think it's it is uh, you know that driven individual that has the uh, platform to be curious uh, and explore new things. And if it didn't work out, learn from it and and uh, and apply it to the next you know your next point of curiosity. Now, the world of work has changed a lot. You know, there's a lot of people working remote these days. Uh, Smart Bear is very global. So, so yep. what have been some of the biggest like lessons learned or challenges of running, you know, a global organization? Yeah, well, um, one size doesn't fit all. I guess that would be one. Um, uh, but I, you know, when when I first became CEO, uh, two weeks later, uh, COVID hit, and uh, you know, the 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 first decision that I had to take was we're going to close the offices down, um, and uh, for us that was a big deal. We were five days a week in the office, uh, regardless of you know whether you were you know here in here in Somerville, whether you were in Galway, whether you were in Melbourne, you know any office that you were in, you were expected to be in, and you were in. I mean, so much so that you know we'd get one of our big snowstorms, and it was like, well, you're going to be half an hour late or an hour late. Um, Right. And uh, and so th the great news, though, was that uh, in 24 hours, we we're about 95 percent up and running because in our sales organization, we're a high velocity inside sales. Everything is done over the phone. And so we literally picked up laptops um, and uh, and and quite frankly, helped our customers figure out how they were going to go about uh, running their own businesses. Um, so I, I would say that that, uh, you know, that was the platform to realize, um, you know, there's crises that hit uh, that are local and then there's crises that are going to be uh, be pretty global in nature. And uh, and we got through, it, you know, like I said, pretty quickly and, and rebounded. Um, but I also learned that power of visibility um, in that. You know, I wasn't there, you know, or the executive team wasn't there in the office or we weren't able to fly to, you know, any one of our, you know, 13 other global offices. So we had to think about and be creative about how are we going to be more visible? 
So we stood up a weekly all company call over Zoom. And, uh, you know, at first it was, hey, we're a strong financial company. Uh, you know, we are prepared for this. No one was prepared for that, but our model of, of being a strong financial company was going to allow us to weather any kind of storm. That was the mechanics of it. But what I learned was people were yearning for just having that connection, right? Not only just being told, hey, at a company level, everything's going to be okay, but at a personal level, that your that their job is going to be okay. That hey, go go work on you know a balance now for the really first time your personal life and and your job. Um, often back then it was like very separate, right? You know Monday through Friday, you know the proverbial nine to five was uh, was just going it's going to be work time and everything else was going to be uh, your own personal time and those blended and meshed together. And, uh, you know, learned quite, you know, quite early, it was important for people to hear, hey, that's going to be okay. You know, we're, we're, we're going to be, uh, we're going to get through this, and we're going to learn different ways. And, uh, you know, like a lot of companies, uh, I think we came out even stronger. All right. So uh, do you have any good podcast book recommendations? <laughs> yes. Um, so I would say podcast wise, um, this is going to be non-business, but I actually just love the three of them and that's Smartless. So I don't know if you know Smartless, um, but it's- I've uh, heard and I, I I need to listen to it because I keep hearing it over and over again. It's like, yeah, it's, it sounds like it's fantastic. Yeah. So it's, you know, essentially three, you know, it's Jason Bateman and and Will Ar- Arnett and, and, uh, and they have a special guest that one of the three know. Um, and, uh, and so- uh, the other two don't know. So that's the surprise. Probably okay. my all. So and that that one's like, a, I got to check out. I'm in the car. I don't really want to think about any things. Probably the best podcast that that I, I could recommend to, to everyone is this one is the venture. Wow. Podcast. Dang. Yeah, I learned. <laughs> I will tell you, I learn a lot from this one. Uh, and, and I know others do in our company as well. You had talked about the, you know, the I think the great partnership that our two companies have well that's because we get a lot out of these podcasts and and uh and we do and uh i'm hopeful that uh that our time here is uh given some of your viewers uh, a little bit more of a of a learning if you will yeah no, there's been a, a, a lot of great advice from this conversation so thanks for the for the props there that's awesome yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. all right three apps you can't live without three apps i can't live without well um it seems like it's Wall Street Journal, CNBC, uh, and maybe LinkedIn. Um, a lot of it is, you know, clearly there was a, a big bank crisis that is still ongoing. Uh, we actually had to navigate through a little bit of that. Um, so those are the ones, JetBlue, American, you know, definitely having to fly uh, more and more. So I'd say those are them. The ones I wish I couldn't live with, or the ones I wish I couldn't live without, I think that was your question. For me, it would actually be... Uh, Perhaps different, meaning if I would I would want them to be uh, things like weather.com, tides near me, uh, and and the fishing recorder, right? So yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. I couldn't live without because I'm going on my boat to to go fishing that morning. Right. Um, a, a big one for me is Peloton. You know, I try to try to stay uh, uh, fairly fit, and whether that's I'm on the road or or at home. Uh, so that, that's definitely, definitely a big one. 
Okay, outside of work, uh, you've already given some glimpse here of, of things that you like to do, but uh, I'm going to ask anyway. So things you like to do outside of work. Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, well, yep, obviously uh, a lot of outdoors. Uh, my wife and I are, are recent empty nesters. My uh, my my youngest daughter uh, uh, just graduated and is a freshman at college. And so we are now empty nesters. So we, we definitely are traveling uh, like a lot of people are for sure. But we're, uh, I'd say that that's the the biggest thing that we're doing now is, you know, getting away for a weekend or, you know, or what have you. Um, I'd say that that, that would be it. Um, I'm, I'm fortunate both my kids actually go to Penn State. And uh, so shout out to to those that have Penn gone to Lions. Penn State. Yeah, there you go. We and, are. Uh, we are. That's right. And uh, so when we do go to visit one, we get to visit both. And in fact, uh, this weekend, where uh, where Kenny Chesney is playing at uh, Penn State on Saturday, yeah, wow. yeah exactly. So, Dang. and we booked it. Yeah, we booked it in this last summer. We're like, oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be, you know, yeah, it's March, but it'll be, you know, visions of 60, 70 degrees. And and I just saw the forecast; it's going to be forty and raining. But uh, but it won't be when we're inside the uh, inside the concert hall. Exactly. Well, Frank, yeah. thanks so much for taking the time to walk us through your background story, all the great work that you and your team are doing at Smart Bear, and obviously all the, the great advice too. Yeah, thank you, Keith. It's It's been a pleasure and uh, um, would would love to catch up with you uh, at some point in time again. Um, but but uh, like I said, we get a lot of value. I personally do out of, uh, of listening uh, to you and your podcasts. And so uh, thank you for everything that you've done. And, and I appreciate uh, you giving me uh, an hour of your time. Well, that's our show. I hope you found it useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFizz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.